no time to die or like no time for the present or something to do with that. I don't know. That was just kind of like what I came up with. So we're back. It's the Talking TV podcast, but here to give you something a little bit different this time. So Chris, what, what, what is the name of our podcast? The name of our podcast, Dom, um, is Talkin' TV. That is, TV being the key word here, because it's funny because for all the episodes that we've done, we've done like a decent amount of episodes too. This is what, like, if we're talking overall, it's like, what, our 13th episode? That's that's pretty awesome. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy, and I'm just overall proud of, like, where we've come in terms of, like, from where we started, the, the amount of years that we talked about doing our own podcast, trying to get it off the ground the about two years ago, then, you know, we both kind of went our separate ways, and now we're back here, you know? Know, kind of like right back all where it started yeah there's a lot that goes into this that we don't need to bog you down with or, or bore you with but there was very much so a, a huge learning curve to doing this and, and there's still I think if we're going to be honest and open which which is something I think was the mission of the show so I'm just going to say it right now because it doesn't embarrass me I think there still are things that we need to iron out but yeah we're doing it yeah like, we're, we're the, the point being is that it. at the end of the day it comes down to like we could talk about all the different ancillary factors that go into everything in life but at the end of the day it comes down to just Shia said it best just do it and we're doing it and so it's funny that we brought up that theme of um but again we're finally back to talking about a tv show and also the idea of kind of ending up back where you started which overall ultimately i feel like was the theme of this tv show that we're about to talk about which chris what are we talking about for this episode today we're talking about actually a television show yes so you know the third one on a show called talking tv but like we say it's a show about tv film and cinema it just the name right any, any, any form it, of, it, it works any, any it form rhymes. of imagery recorded using a camera but its presentation method should not matter at this point i feel like especially considering right. how far tv has surpassed film in terms of where back in the day the whole thing was that tv shows were disposable but people ended up bonding with them because they were able to form more of uh what's the word uh what, what's it called more of a bond because of how more personable they felt relationships being able to, yeah relationships felt where to now we're in a situation where Films feel more disposable than TV to the point where we literally consider more things that we watch at home on our TV screen cinematic than we do out in a theater. Right, and if, if you want to hear us elaborate more on the uh, the concept of disposable filmmaking, check our last episode, uh, you know, Black Christmas. Anyways, speaking of relationships, uh, today we're talking about a show that I, I formed a very fond relationship with. Um, I've actually watched it twice all the way through. Um, it's, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart regardless of the things that I do see and recognize with it that are flawed and that, that did hurt it. Um, and that show is Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Uh, created by Mike Judge and Alec Berg, who went on with Bill Hader to create HBO's, I would say, newest hit comedy, Barry. Um, but yeah, Silicon Valley, the show about a fictional startup tech company that started out of a... What, what did Ehrlich call it in the first season? A think tank? Uh, I, I forgot what he called his house, but out of, out, of, out of just like a regular house in the suburbs of California that eventually grew, albeit uh, many, many missteps and many, I would say, a little bit of a reliance on certain character types, but at the same time, that reliance never ended up taking away from them being people, first and foremost. It was a very thin line that it walked, but it always managed to bring it back and make these guys feel very anchored in reality, which is something that I think is probably the show's best strength because I think that's ultimately what saved it in its last couple seasons after a certain person left the show in terms of just overall the thing that kept it anchored for me as what I call the dark times were the fact that these guys were such well-developed characters even if 
they were like relying a little bit too much on certain shticks. But it, it, to the point of almost where the show became a little bit self-aware, which is what these comedies kind of have to do. It's what I've seen a lot of is where you get these comedies that kind of rely on the same character shticks over and over and over again, sometimes for years on end. And then to the point where it's like the only way that they can add something new is if they become a little bit self-aware about it, which sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think that in this case it did, but that's just one small facet about what made this show, at least for me, my favorite comedy that HBO has ever done. Yeah, so I think I agree with a lot of what you just said. I think that this show, like the AI that they they built in this show, became a little too aware and ultimately led to its downfall. See what I did there? Now, I do have to say that if you didn't think we were going to jump right into spoilers, you were wrong. Here we go. I feel like that's pretty much established at this point. It's like, we get it. This is not your typical internet show. We're not going to do the, okay, this is the spoiler-free section, and now we're going to jump full on into spoilers. No, we we talk about the stuff as we would talk about anything. If you don't want to get spoiled i'm sorry that's just this isn't this is not the show you were looking for right and in the spirit of jumping right in the character who leaves who really is a huge hit to the show really is, is. like look, looking back like it's honestly kind of amazing how like a majority of like the show's like not not just overall humor but like gut busting like almost weirdly in, in and of itself like a big part of the show's identity was tj miller's ehrlich bachman who famously left after season four dude i don't remember exactly what the what the scenario was i think it had something to do with a falling out of i don't remember if it was a situation of where like he just wanted to get out in order to do other things or he saw the scripts for season four and he just didn't like it and wanted to jump ship i don't remember what the specifics were and they're kind of never really easy it's never usually one thing in terms of these big production fallouts between like actors and creators so i don't know but yeah no i mean it it, regardless of of what the reason is we're we're not really here to talk about the behind the scenes what we are here to talk about is like the show itself and i think that the first three seasons and i'm a big tv guy uh you know i i really push for the uh the balance in the beginning of our production meetings and stuff for this show like I, i love television and i'm growing to love movies and i think now i've struck a balance where i love both equally but i do have to say that i i i sort of went to film school to eventually one day create television, not to be a filmmaker in the traditional sense of like, you know, shooting a film and putting it in theaters. So to me, I look through tele television with even more of, of a microscope as I've seen a lot more of it. My, my filmography is, is more derived of television. So, so I thought, and especially me, I, I'm a sitcom junkie. I, I love, I love this stuff. You know, I, I watch, I give at least, any sitcom that has a slight buzz a chance because if if people are loving it and liking it I want to be a part of that and 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 the fun thing is being a part of a show as it's going on Silicon Valley was something I was lucky enough to jump into in the fifth and sixth season and and watching those first three seasons I have to say that uh, you know the first three seasons of the show there is an energy and there is a life to it that clearly disappears and while the show does make a really good effort because here we are talking about it in the finale we're covering the finale but we have to talk about it as a whole uh, it, it never to me sort of comes back to that feeling that warmth that you get from the first three seasons where i literally laugh out loud multiple times every episode that does not happen often i'm telling you the office is one of my favorite shows of all time and and it's it's very hard to find shows that compete with the office in silicon valley i think if it would have stayed on that path might not 
might not have ended and, and, and might not land on the list of top shows where it does, it would have been a little higher is what I'm trying to say. It's definitely a situation where the one cast member leaving, I would say, it's one of the few times, really, where I can't even say this about a lot of other shows. Like We've seen a lot of shows where cast members come and go. Most of the time, it's because of a character death, because of a story arc. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. Usually with comedies, it's a lot more because of behind the scenes shenanigans because the characters <clears throat> on sitcoms and comedy shows tend to stay a lot longer than dramas. You know, they, they tend to be more character-focused than story-focused, as I would say. But it definitely is a situation where there was something that was lost from the show when Miller left. But but to your credit, I, and to the show's credit, I think it did a very good job of regaining its footing, you know, in terms of, like, for me... But as as bad as certain other points were for the show after Miller left, um, it was definitely a situation where for me four was definitely the lowest bar that the show ever had. Where that was the yeah. moment where it's like the over reliance on kind of like the act of God that kind of would always save them in the finale kind of really reared its head ugly. But to me, it felt like it was only a climbing and a learning curve. Like like Judge and Berg were able to pivot. From Miller, from Miller's um, departure, and because they had an entire season to work with it, as opposed to kind of like an abrupt in the middle. Oh, he leaves. Say he left like after season four and ended, and like oh shit, what do we have to do? And then season five ends up getting pushed back production like a year, and it's very clear when it comes back that it's like wow, we have no idea what the fuck we're doing. I will say that as rocky as season five start was, at the very least, by the time it ended, it felt like we were on a trajectory of where we're going to the point where when season six came out, despite the fact that it felt like something that was totally different from where the show had started. It felt like, an, in a way, both a natural progression for where these characters would end up from where they started and also kind of breathing a little bit of new life into a show that was on the that was on a downward spiral for a long time. And I have to give it a credit for that because that's not something that a lot of shows can pull off. And I have to give it to these creators and these actors and these writers to just overall maintaining the consistency of their show and like caring about their audience and caring about their product as much. I really do have to give a lot of credit to them. Right, no. So I think that this show sort of reminds me of a professional sports team whereas you have a few good seasons and you know, then maybe some, some injuries happen and, and there's like a coaching change. And so you dip down for a bit, but you're an, or, you're an organization competing on the professional level, right? Like you are in it to win it or else why would you be there? So I think inevitably they, they do end on a high, not as much of a high as they start the show. And I think here's the reason why. So we talk about TJ Miller, Ehrlich Bachman leaving the show and, and how season four to me, rewatching this in preparation for our episode over the past few weeks, smooth sailing until I hit season four and it suddenly felt like homework. And and the reason is because I think what a lot of sitcoms try to do but fail to do is the ensemble cast. If you look at Friends, if you look at uh, How I Met Your Mother, if you look at The Office... I said Community as well. No, I don't. And here's why. Because okay. you don't care about, you know, you don't care about... Phoebe the way you care about you know um, uh, Ross and Rachel you just care about them more there's more you get more from them you don't care about Creed or Kevin as much as you care about Michael Scott you still love these characters but you don't care you do not care about Marshall as much as you care about Ted they are ensemble casts but they fail to make every member of the ensemble cast equal whereas community in Silicon Valley does so when you lose 
any character, regardless of their, you know, involvement in the company in this situation, or it was just an investor. But when you lose that chemistry in a show that truly pulls off the ensemble cast, then you are in complete chaos. And so that's why I also do tip my hat to them for wrapping this up in such a way that that was graceful because it clearly could have crashed and burned if you look at season four and it's actually funny to bounce off your point because you're right so in terms of like most sitcoms despite the fact that they are pitched as ensemble cast it's very clear that they have the focus character you're right ted for how i met your mother michael for the office and uh, leslie for parks and rec um jerry for seinfeld um the list goes on the list goes on and on and on but and it's weirdly enough because friends is actually the one case where i would disagree with you where to me friends falls more so into the camp of like a community and silicon valley where yes they they have their focus characters but to me friends is the one kind of oddball because to me they're friends is the one show where there is no focus character like you have yeah the ross and rachel are like the linchpin in terms of like why you watch it, but friends to me still is one of the only shows in existence and this this is saying something because there really aren't that many other shows like the only other show that i would think that really comes close to this is game of thrones because game of thrones kills its central focus character after the first in the at the end of the first season and the rest of that show you're following it really is based in the ensemble and there really is not to the last two seasons with where the focus really becomes based around Jonathan Harris it really is based in that ensemble where friends I can't think of a single character that really is like the focus point and I think a lot of that has to do with its intro because that that what that show did differently than a lot of other shows is even even Silicon Valley didn't do this because Silicon Valley started with Richard and it was and even though it had a great ensemble cast it was still Richard's show Richard is the main character friends is the only show out of that entire list of sitcoms where I'd say there is no main central character like the the the, the trajectory and focus of that show is based in the ensemble where yeah you have Ross and Rachel but to me Phoebe and her antics and Joey and her antics and even to the point where when Monica and Ray and Chandler got together that to me was way more interesting than anything that was going on with Ross and Rachel where their back and forth kind of like was almost like the it was the backbone of the show but at the same time it also became like that gag that's like oh my god get to the point already and it's like it really is again kind of really diverging off our original point where Friends is the only show that I would say kind of broke away from that typical sitcom formula of having the main central character then have everyone else supporting them it's the only one to me that i've seen but bringing it back to silicon valley yeah silicon valley was that situation i would say much more so like a um like a how i met your mother or like an honorage where yeah you had your central focus character but you also had that scene stealing supporting character that was very clearly the interest. Like, yeah, Ted's your major support, your main character for How I Met Your Mother, but you're watching that show for Barney. And for me with Honora, yeah, Eric and um and Vince are your main characters, but you're watching that show for Ari and Drama and Turtle and all the stupid shit that they do, you know? Where it's this show, Richard's your main character, and he's a, and he's a very funny character, and I think that for the type of character that they set him up with, kind of like this Jesse Eisenberg, Michael Sarah-esque character, that, like, you're only watching this guy to see him goof up and how awkward and nervous and how pathetic he really is compared to everyone else the type of growth that they have that character go through throughout the entirety of the show even in the moments where he is with Ehrlich who is very clearly the scene stealer and very clearly the guy that you watch the show for I, I think it is very commendable what the show does there and not just with him how they kind of like grow the other characters around them you know where the a major subplot of every single season is the back and forth between Dinesh and um and Guilfoyle and how that that show ended up making Kumail Nanjiani like one of the biggest comedy superstars and in a way after Ehrlich left I would say the show actually did a very very good job of kind of bringing up Jared as kind of the news uh scene stealer where Zach Woods mm -hmm. it's hysterical to me how they've always like kind of like done like made that character a very intentionally underwritten character with like the 
those random pop-ups like where you find out about his past and make you kind of turn him from like another typical awkward character to like this really weirdo character that you don't necessarily know fits into any sort of societal norm or bracket and you kind of love him for that well at the same time you also wonder at certain points like is this guy a sociopath but it's a, it, you're right it's like all those different little facets and interesting character tidbits that the it, it, it's so interesting how they focus it because they they rely so much on the tropes but at the same time without those tropes like those character these characters wouldn't be the characters that we know and love that makes the identity of this show Right, and so speaking about how interwoven they are, I think that that is why I I put friends in the category that I do is that you don't have the same depth of presence out of the gates that you do with this cast that you're given in Silicon Valley. They're just not as figured out yet, you know, and, and maybe that's where we disagree. But to me, that's why I think that this show had something so special going for it out the gates. Now, it was a little sad to see it eventually become pretty easy to figure out richard's yes, gonna definitely. get so close to having it all and then he's gonna lose it and then he's gonna yeah. get so close to having it all he's gonna take Literally one step he's gonna take two steps forward one step back and then the reason okay and then the reasoning for how they get there it's like oh gavin right. comes in and does right. something else shitty and, or some other ceo and so you in. can watch the show to get into that i'm usually off put by that but again the reason why i stuck around because you guys know me at this point i've said many times i don't like procedurals i don't like you know living inside of a very tight-knit formula but this show was one of the few shows that i think is still gonna land in one of my favorite shows of all time because of how good the characters were but i think if i'm being honest about it the first three seasons really do the heavy lifting for me because i still do think that like well season four was just it's it's hard to watch, and I think anyone out there season understands four is that. Awful because it's a slow downward spiral that for me like doesn't culminate, and it's almost a situation of where like the kind of active god that we get at the end of every single season, you know, the tech crunch thing at the end of season one, the the Falcon. Um, right, but before I forget my point, what I'm yeah. trying to say is that they recover in season five and six, but it, it it's 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 sort of like it felt like to me rather that well. We can't not finish this show, but we're going to take time and push season five back because we're writing Barry. And we're going to do this because Richard's in Verizon commercials and he's in Godzilla now. It just felt like that was a hit they could not recover from. Season six was great, though, in my opinion. Like, they, really they worked with what really, they had. Really enjoyed it. They worked with what they had. They actually introduced one of my favorite actors who I'm always rooting for, who is, is I hope he gets there one day. That's George Basil, who was the Richard's old boss, and I think he was underutilized. Oh, I really liked guy? his character. Yeah, I'm always rooting for him when Wait, I see what him. Else been, what else has he been in? He's been in Flaked. He's been in Wrecked. A few cult shows that I really love, and, and that's just like, listen, guys, I know I enjoy some pretty bad television television now flaked is a phenomenal show wrecked is not but i i also enjoy like bad television because I, I like to laugh at it like black christmas you know bad movie and and so like him i just want him to uh the world should be his you know he seems like a good dude i listen to a podcast with him and and so like what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is that i honestly think that the last three seasons of the show were really nothing special I, I like I did with one of my favorite cameos, guest appearances, guest actors. I'm trying to find something good in it because those first three seasons to me are almost legendary. And, and I don't know if that is is that's me being human. Right. 
because I'm trying to be a film critic, but I also like have such an emotional attachment to those first three seasons that I don't want to say the last three seasons were were really not that good, even though like they recovered. But like, wasn't does that matter? It's a situation like, of where should a ev- good show have to recover? Yes. Well, well, that's the thing is we have talked about it. Like I've talked about this a couple different points uh, about a couple different shows when I've talked about it, is how different shows go through different eras kind of, of, of reception and overall points, you know, where no show, I would say, is almost universally beloved for almost the entirety of its run. You know, we talk about, like, polarizing finales all the time, about how so many shows never seem to be able to stick the landing, but I think that almost most of the time, to me at least... It never is a situation of where, like, okay, it was just the finale that was bad. Like, there was never a situation of where, like, it was getting to a point where it's like the writers were clearly building up that they had no idea what was going on. And we were just so enraptured by the show because we were so invested in it at that point that we just never saw what was coming. Silicon Valley was one of these situations where we were kind of already immersed in this decade of internet fanboying. And kind of following along. And it was one of those shows that I, I talked about this when I when I wrote my quick little spiel on Facebook after the after the, I watched the finale. Where it was a show that kind of clung on how HBO always made their comedies work. Is that they always put them right after whatever the big drama was on. I know that was how Honorage and Deadwood were able to succeed for a while. Was because they were still going off the back of The Sopranos. And it's why The Wire kind of like had such a such a problem hanging on. And, and, and keeping its core audience throughout the majority of its run. Even though now you look back The Wire is regarded as one of if not the most influential shows it's of all time. It's a crowning achievement now. <laughs> but Silicon Valley, I said, it came on, I, I hit it the sweet spot, it came on when Thrones, uh, sorry, HBO's big drama at the time, their, their land point drama, um, Thrones, was in its fourth season, was when Silicon Valley debuted it took me personally a little bit to get into it because I didn't start watching it consistently live like every week, every Sunday. Man, I'm looking forward to it until season three. Seasons one and two, I kind of watched through. It wasn't exactly a show that spoke to me because I, w- I was still like kind of adjusting um, my, my tastes, fine-tuning my tastes, if you will. Um, hopefully, it's not a little bit uh, too pretentious. Um, no, the show is a maturity. Co- comedy's always been a genre to me that has been a little bit confusing because growing up, like I said, I'm, I, was, I was a kid that missed... I feel like a lot, or was too young to appreciate a lot of like the good comedy. Like I've said, Seinfeld ended literally the year that I was born. So like, if, if that just doesn't that like today. put anything in perspective. So like, my whole thing growing up was like watching a lot of Disney Channel, a lot of live, all those terrible shows. You no know, live action Disney, Nickelodeon, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Victoria, easily digestible comedy, iCarly, very easily digestible, very on the nose content. So when it came to getting a little bit more complex, I found it a lot easier to get into dramas because dramas to me were always more emblematic of real life. And this was kind of the first show I would say it was this and Honorage because I was getting into Honorage around the same time because this was. This was sophomore, junior year of high school when I was finally getting into this, but I don't think I started watching it consistently until I was like senior year of high school, getting into college. Um, Honorage was a show that I started watching end of high school. I remember I was bonded with my uncle over that because that was like his favorite show to watch back in the day. And I love Honorage for a lot of different reasons, but I feel like those are the two shows that really kind of started to open my eyes and be like, okay, comedy can be more than just goofy gags and one note characters and dumb catchphrases and all this shit. And so when I watch a show like this, and I talk about phases of the show that it had. Yeah, it was a situation where it definitely changed. Maybe not so for maybe not so much for the better of how we would have wanted. And yeah, it was never going to have the same kind of magic that the first three seasons did. But in terms of like 
regaining its footing and introducing something new both to the world of comedy television and the world of storytelling and the overall world of where this show was going for these characters. I just think there's something new to appreciate. It's what I talk about with this last season of Thrones is where, yeah, I agree, that finale sucks. It's one of the worst finales I've ever seen. But that still was not going to take away from the stuff that I enjoyed overall in that last season. And there was a lot of interesting things in that last season that I could take away. And I feel like that can also be applied to these last three seasons of Silicon Valley, that argument as well. Right, and let me just say that that's a great way to put it because by no means do I hate this the last three seasons of this show i mean maybe season four was was it felt like homework but it was fun homework it's like doing homework for your favorite class you still have to do it but but it's like okay this could be worse and so with that being said i think you know like this is still one of my favorite shows probably of the decade and and that is because even through all of its struggles even through all that it had to overcome they fought through adversity these creators these actors you know this show dealt with a lot it it almost looked like it wasn't going to return at one point and then it comes back and everyone's like you know people were sort of rooting for it or against it. it it very much so cut cut the line down the middle and i think one thing that is impressive is its ability to to end on such a high note that it did and and like you said tipping your hat to the writers and cast members out of the gates this is already a polarizing show because it's going to be hard to get your baby boomers to watch the show because there's a lot they won't understand there's there there these writers are very well read you know they're they're sort of like making jokes about trends that we haven't even realized yet and then the episode comes out and you know it was written months before but that trend just hit and so like this this I, as as someone who tries to get more out of film than just a quick, you know, half hour before dinner or or just, you know, I try to really digest it and 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 take something away from it. This is a very well-written show because it has to be at this point they, there's so much thought into it. You have to be well-read and researched to to write a show like this. And so that's why I could never sit there and I don't want to make it seem like I bashed this show and this is what I'm getting at. I don't want to bash this show in the first half of this episode because it, it's obviously impressive. I just felt that it just came out swinging so hard and it never got back to that form, definitely, unfortunately. Definitely one of the situations where... Um, like you said, just so many people watch these types of content, these types of shows. The whole reason why television is what it is, just because, again, they want to zone out. They don't want to think. They just want something quickly to be entertained by after dinner so they can just go to bed, you know, that they can fall asleep to. And this is something that definitely had that and was definitely, I would say, it was very aware of that. And was able to incorporate a lot of, I would say, tr- traditional sitcom techniques, while at the same time, obviously, adapting them for a more for the modern-day audience of what it was... Um, What's it called? What, for when it was released. But I liked it, the point that you brought up in terms of like seemingly talking about trends that seem like they're so in the moment, but it's prepped like months before. Like it really is a credit to these guys. And obviously, like I said, this is Mike Judge we're talking about. This is the guy who did Beavis, who did Beavis and Butthead years of that. This is the guy who gave us Idiocracy, which is a schlocky mid-2000s comedy that today is regarded as more relevant and more forward-thinking and ahead of its time than any other comedy that came out. So these guys clearly do know what they're doing in terms of forward-thinking, in terms of like understanding what the trends of the time are going to be. And that, for me, was a very very interesting sticking point in terms of what made me keep wanting to come back to the show is I was always thinking, and there was always this fear in the back of my head of like, okay, when are they going to fall into the, oh, what are the wacky adventures going to be this week? And it never felt that way even in situations where it did blatantly feel like i remember this one season two episode where richard is trying to get adderall from this one from this one neighborhood kid one of my favorite moments oh it's so great it's for me it's one of like the defining 
moments. And he goes, and, it, and it's the, the funniest thing to me is it's Griffin Gluck, who's who was the kid from um the, the one of the two kids in American Vandal. And seeing little Griffin Gluck fucking like punch the shit out of Richard. And then he goes to Ehrlich to tell him about it. And Ehrlich goes and rails on this kid and, like, fucking throw, slaps the shit out of him. Throws his bike over a hedge. Again, just imagine that T.J. Miller brought to the show and just be like, You bring me the five Adderall. I'm going to go in. I'm going to fucking slit your parents' throats or some shit. Like, some crazy Yeah, he says, don't tell your fucking like parents that. or I'll slit their throats oh, while they're great. sleeping. It's and that's so the thing. good. That's the thing. Ehrlich brought a lot to the show and losing him was a big hit. Now, I do have to say this. You could watch this show on two layers and you actually made me think about this when you said your whole thing about like, you know, like the, the modern era of television is trying to be more than just what you put on to fall asleep, you know, and that half hour after you've maybe you've uh, looked over you know, your work at home and you've, you've, you've set everything to go for the next morning because that's how most people live their lives and, and so television now is trying to be more than that and so what i think that silicon valley did a great job of was it had that layer of your generic typical sitcom where the characters are getting into hijinks and there's there's pitfalls and there's rises and there's there's all the emotional qualities that you've seen in the shows to come but the second layer is the the like the the tech and the the thought and the elegance of of predicting the modern events and the pop culture infusion that i don't think many shows do and i don't know if that's because they don't have writers as smart as the writers of this show or if it's because this 2010s decade for television which we will talk about on our best of really took television and flipped it on its side and and, and propelled took, took it, it to forward the next level in terms of like making tell this is the this is the decade that made television more cinematic than movies i think that's a conclusion that we've come to yeah. not just in the last couple of episodes but over the last couple of years in general now i feel like since 2016 was really the first year that i really started to notice because we got things like stranger things like atlanta like all the that was when the marvel shows really started to take off because we had yeah and we those had were hits. Daredevil, those were hits but that was when they really started to take off and all the crazy different stuff that we got. Like, that was when we got, again, in terms of, like, returning shows at the time. Like, I still remember, like, Battle of the Bastards and what an event that was. And, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, the, like the list you. goes on. That was when we got the first Netflix season of Black Mirror, you know, with San Junipero. And my favorite episode still of, the, of that quite possibly that entire year with nosedive and everything in terms of like really taking it, it was asking all the questions that it, it was the first year where i started to notice that television was finally asking the questions and taking the risks that films just weren't right and and so let me ask you this because i agree with all of that uh, do you know the, what year did silicon valley debut in? Dave, it was 2014 it was spring of 2014 because that was when it, it, like i said it started off going off the back of game of thrones fourth season because that was when game of thrones fourth season debuted Okay, and so aside from Game of Thrones, it, it pretty much predates all of these very important shows you just referenced. For the most part, at, at least from these last couple of years. Yeah, like obviously, like I said, you look at the first half of the 2010s versus this half of the 2010s. I would say even those two in general are almost like polar opposites in terms of like where you get the first half of the 2010s that are still kind of banking off of a lot of the shows that got started that helped really define the 2000s. But for me, at least, I would qualify much more so as defining in the 2010s. Like, yeah, you had stuff like Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Like that, that debuted in the back half, but for me, those are much more so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the I'm talking about shows that just started in the uh, in the 2010s that right. didn't have you know their first seasons in like a 2008 or nine because right. because I think that those shows along with shows they're like still Lost, too influenced by the previous era. And, yeah, and you can't really count Lost in the Office because Lost is 04, the Office exactly. is 05. That's still very much immersed and, in and, the and how many other. And so I think like we needed those shows to push the envelope a little bit, test the waters, and then you have shows like Silicon Valley that really come in and establish like the new 
I hate that Star Wars is in everything I say. The new order of television and filmmaking. Okay, man, you love Star Wars. I loved Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't let Disney's bastardization Past of it tense, affect loved. your favorite product. I, I love yeah, the George yeah. Lucas pure Star Wars, and and I gotta say, like, I mean, I don't know. I was ready to go to an inconclusion unless you have no, no, well, something well, else I was gonna ask to. You, uh, so you asked him. So in terms of like the, the go to in terms of like saying like what revolutionized television in general, and kind of like in terms of really introducing the idea of, wow, of how you can do these kind of much more so dramatic, thought provoking, and different kind of stories on on a, on television, a format that is should that has been primarily for the most part very digestible, very easy easy to understand, not very deep thinking um, content, I would say we can both agree as The Sopranos because that's kind of like the go-to where it's kind of undeniable the change that the, that, the, that the Sopranos made for the world of television. But if I had to ask you, because the problem is, is that as influential as it was, The Sopranos is still only for drama. And we could point at all these different dramas that came out that helped change the landscape, but will both influence and erupted as a result of The Sopranos. The Wire, Lost, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, all these different shows. But my question for you is, what was the defining sitcom that helped kind of different, like, revolutionize the, 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 the sitcom era in terms of, like, how we can also include this type of thought-provoking material into our comedies as well as our dramas, you know? Because we've had dramas for almost as long as we've had comedies, you know? But obviously the difference being that the dramas were always the ones that kind of asked a little bit deeper question. You know, if we go back to, you know, kind of the 60s when television was, the 50s and 60s when television was really starting to go back, we can talk about, you know, even something as cheesy and stupid it is the Incredible Hulk TV show where yeah on the surface level it's a cheesy dumb thing about a Marvel superhero show that obviously is a very much a product of its time and very low budget but also on the other hand you can read a little bit into the context of where you're watching a man grapple with the isolation of the fact that he has to intentionally isolate himself for fear of this werewolf-esque um, struggle that he goes through where he can't be around people or else he could turn into this thing that could seriously injure and cause harm to them. And he does that out of, you know, kind of his own, uh, he, he does that out of his own sense of goodwill, but in the same sense, that's also kind of torturing to him. And that's a show that came out in the 60s. So my question is, what would you say was the revolutionary sitcom show where you finally get something that is both easily digestible and funny and entertaining, but also asks potentially some deeper questions as well, just about like regular everyday life? Yeah, so I guess your question sort of puts the cherry on top of, of everything I'm trying to say, uh, being that that show to me was Silicon Valley. You know, it, it, it took the traditional sitcom formula and, and for all of its flaws and its struggles, I think it, it really made you say, I'm laughing, but I'm thinking. What a weird feeling, but I like this feeling, and I want more of this feeling, you know? And and to me, like, Silicon Valley, if you're putting me on the spot, and, and what I've been trying to say about it, 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 to me, it's one of those shows. It's not the only one. Uh, unfortunately, no others come to mind. I'm pretty tired right now, and it's well, kind of I mean, late. Think but think about it, right? The, the, the shows, I would say, that have always had the most marked effect in terms of what do people remember the most, I feel like have always been designed because they reflect the time that they came out in, right? That's the thing that we can always say is that we always talk about movies as being timeless, but also we've talked about things that are also very much a product of their time. And that's not a bad thing because the whole thing is that most media that we enjoy uh, in terms of the best ones are often a reflection of whatever the people at the time were thinking in terms of like providing more content. Right, but so those like, age well, and I think Silicon Valley will age well. Right, 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 but, and that's just like a specific example, but I'm also talking like in terms of like, so the 80s, it was primarily two, just if we're talking about sitcoms, it was MASH and Cheers, right? And then as you get more so into the 90s, you kind of have like this influx of different types of shows, you know, like Fresh Prince, Seinfeld, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Friends, uh, Frasier, which is a spinoff of, um, of Cheers, you know? Like all these kind of different shows that are kind of coming in and changing the envelope while at the same time providing some 
something new and going out into different kinds. Of, you know, Star Trek. We we saw the rebirth of Star Trek with the Next Generation show, which which brought Star Trek back on. You see all these different kinds of genres, and then you get into the 2000s where you have these shows that are not only trying to push the envelope of story of long form storytelling, but also pushing the envelope of like the presentation of material. Where now we're getting into almost this like where we're, we're pushing the envelope on like the typical like friends getting together and having like the different types with How I Met Your Mother and how that's like a kind of an advancement on Friends. And then you also get the situation like The Office where that's the first single camera um, not relying on the three camera laugh track setup that really I would say is the primary revolutionizer because in terms of also introducing the mockumentary and making that as mainstream as it is now and how that's utilized you know like kind of TV you could always go to the individual decades and see I would say with sitcoms much more so than dramas because dramas I feel like are a lot more timeless than certain sitcoms but you can always go to sitcoms and see how they are a reflection of their time and I feel like in a way how that ends up making them more timeless where to me I think um, when I think back on this decade in terms of the sitcoms that most influenced me I'm going to think of two overall in terms of live action ones not animated ones for this decade I'm going to think of Community and I'm going to think of Silicon Valley because those two yeah. were the ones that had the most marked effect on me I agree. but also the most marked effect on terms of pushing the genre in forms of um, in, in terms of like further enveloping you know where community with all the meta humor while also like taking place around like the you know that's Dan Harmon's whole thing taking place around a traditional setting and just going into like any every different single bizarre wacky scenario and Silicon Valley where it takes kind of like us something that had really been untapped in the sitcom world where most sitcoms are around workplace or or just like you know gathering of friends overall and really seeks to take those and place that in the tech world and 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 in terms of use that in order to terms in, in order to like kind of come to terms with just how that reflects because technology is a big part of what reflects the changing world how silicon valley kind of embodies that that to me is what i feel like is going to make this one of the more timeless shows yeah so i mean i think i'm sort of at the end of my rope here i have like a, a closing thought i think it's i think it's time to go there would you agree yeah I, i'd agree with that so I, I think i'm glad that you brought community into it because what i would say is i do agree with you in, in regards to like the modern sitcom and, and shows that really push the envelope i think that silicon valley and community did that and and for me personally it's because i i grew up watching the ensemble cast and and then as a filmmaker analyzing it and going back and watching the shows i grew up with under a different lens uh what have you i i got to see the flaws and and the qualities that were were good about those shows accented at such a, a stronger level because i had a deeper understanding of what it takes to make them and write them and and to see them see them pay off so for me yeah silicon valley and community, and I'm sure we'll find others as we, uh, you know, go on and we'll do our TV, our TV of the decade episode. And those shows took the traditional formula and sort of flipped it on its side. And, and, and they did something that I think the ensemble cast has been building towards for a long time. And that's a perfect balance. In my opinion, the, these both of these shows struck a perfect balance, especially Silicon Valley. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see what comes next because I think like the reason you have, you know, Barry and, and, and a few other shows starting to take off again is because of this progression that's pushing the envelope further and further and further within the sitcom, the comedy genre is thanks to every time someone takes a risk and thank God television is taking risks is because we're getting these amazing long form stories that almost make the movies laughable. So in conclusion, yeah, I think Silicon Valley is a very important show. And while the, while the last few seasons didn't hit as strongly to me as the first three, by no means does that take anything away from it. I just think they set a very high bar. 
Definitely. And so. in terms of conclusion and what I think is going to make Silicon Valley stand the test of time. Again, besides of being like, for me, one of the better and kind of more underrated because in terms of like with people talking about like shows of the decade, like I remember when Watch Mojo originally released their first top 10 shows of the decade, Silicon Valley, I don't even think got an honorable mention, which to me was disgraceful. But in terms of kind of what sets this apart from like the other like kind of like wacky sitcoms is that it had a cast that while, yeah, they were types. They were. They also like never stopped being like real characters, and in terms of like accentuating and playing around with the individual actors' personalities, which is something that comedy has always done much more so than drama. I think it's a situation where, yeah, you in, in terms of like following these characters and and, and their journey, obviously. It, it, it's got that one overall struggle relatable where it's like the whole thing is that these guys want to start their own company, but not in the sense that like everyone else does. And it's kind of like, yeah, you're following the trials and tribulations, but it's also a situation of where like they kind of don't know what they're doing for most of it. Like they start off like Pied Piper originally is supposed to be like, I think like a music software download space and it ends up blossoming into like there's one point where they're gonna like make like a video streaming software and then there's a point where they're gonna turn it into like literally the new internet to the point where where it ends the whole reason why they have to tank it and again how that finale works as a brilliant juxtaposition to all the others is this time rather than it just being an act of god that saves them and allows them to continue to persevere and continue they literally have to sabotage their own launch of their new internet because they've created something that's so they basically created Skynet where they're they yeah. created something that's so powerful and so beyond their control and so like not at all what they were originally going for that they have to crash their original baby like just in order to kind of um preserve the status quo which is something that which is a very daring area that I that not a lot of comedies go for so much about comedies is kind of going back to the status quo and how this kind of flipped the lid in terms of, yeah, the characters ended up at the status quo where, yeah, you have, like, kind of the last episode is, is shot very documentary-esque in terms of, like, what they're all doing after the whole Pied Piper thing. It really is kind of, like, kind of emotionally so Like, I got a lot of, mo- of emotional, a lot more emotional feels out of this finale than I thought I was going to. Like, I'm like overall, if you asked me at the beginning of the year what finale, A, I was obviously looking forward to more, which I think is an easy question, but also which finale I was expected to get more emotion out of. If I, in terms of between picking Silicon Valley and Game of Thrones, if you told myself at the beginning of the year that I was going to have more of an emotional reaction to the Silicon Valley finale than I was to the Game of Thrones finale, I would have told you you were kidding yourself. But that's just the year and that's just the overall what we've gotten. And it, it, it's been a, definitely a very interesting and funny and entertaining these last six years in terms of following this show and i can't wait to see what these guys do next mike judge i don't know what his next project is he's probably going to take a step back alec berg has already proven himself on more than one occasion with two phenomenal seasons of barry which i hope continues to be hbo's new landmark show that kind of takes him into this new decade or at least the first half of this decade so yeah, i yeah, love that's me some barry like, block yeah that's kind of like my overall end all be all thoughts on this show so speaking of end all be all how do you rate television what's like the it's tricky because it's like overall especially since we're talking about a last season like it's easy when we're talking about like one season like stranger things or the boys you know especially if it's a debut season especially in this new era you know where the whole thing is that debut seasons so much of the time just feel like a movie in and of itself encapsulated so much to the point so well how when they end and they have that inevitable cliffhanger just something that's supposed to like at the very least just put the tension on hold until the next season it's almost kind of like feels like almost like a like a gut punch where it's like oh yeah i've been so engrossed in this that i'm expecting it to have this crazy ending and then you you don't get that you know where it's like stranger things season three 
what I, what I talked about is that, man, I was really looking forward to this ending because I was kind of like starting to like really notice the tropes and it was starting to get really repetitive to the point where I was taken away from my overall enjoyment of that. And then when it kind of like ended still on a cliffhanger, I was like, oh, but wait, there's more. I was just groaning. Or like with the boys where it's like, I'm so engrossed. And then it ends on that cliffhanger in order to open for season two. I'm a little bit conflicted because I'm like, on the one hand, yeah, I'm super pumped to see where this goes. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I was so expecting and being set up for like this revolution that I feel like this new season is going to almost feel like a sequel of sorts rather than like the next season of television. But for Silicon Valley and how it ended and like kind of like how it's always been kind of like maintaining that traditionalist where they always kind of like had that one set ending where it's like, oh, the act of God saves them and allows them to continue to persevere. And finally seeing how they were going to end it and now seeing how they ended it, kind of like pulling an inverse, it kind of is like re re really awesome to me. And weirdly enough, this is probably one of my overall favorite series finales. So if I had to rank this individual season amongst the shows, the way that I had it ranked is first three seasons are my favorite more so than these last three seasons. I think I had it ranked as season three is my favorite then season one, then season two, then out of the second batch, it's for me, it's season six is my favorite, then five and four, four for me is the least, is my least favorite overall, that's how I have the overall show ranked, in terms of this past season, I would probably give this a four out of five, right, okay. if the first yeah. three seasons are a four and a half, then this is a four to me, where it obviously doesn't have the magic that the first three seasons did, but in terms of, um, kind of conquering the hill that it had to climb up after those last two seasons, I think it definitely did a very good job of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. And and what I'll say is I want to save where the season six lands for our, um, you know, top 10 um, uh, TV shows of the year because, spoiler alert, it's going to land on that list. So I'm just going to sort of like give the whole show a bow tie and then wrap it up and uh, present it to you guys and... The, the number that speaks to me in my head is like 7.575. I think I'll give this like a 75 out of 100, you know, like a, a three and a half stars as a series, which which to me is, that is very high. No show in the history of shows in my scope has gotten a clear five because nothing is perfect. So to be in that three and a half, four star range means you really struck a chord with me as a viewer, as a watcher, as a consumer. And um, it's sad to see this one go, but I'm at least glad that Alec Berg is, is doing good things and, and I hope Mike Judge will go on. I'm sure he'll go on to do something great. So uh Yeah, and definitely and just to like kind of wrap it up, it's like how many other shows can you say that you're like you're sad to see them go? Like I can tell many. you this in terms of like the amount of shows that have ended in the last couple of years, like I don't know, maybe it's just because me, like of how I've kind of been molded in terms of this end all overall decade that we've been in with movies and TV, but like for me I can't, I, like, maybe Breaking Bad, but Breaking Bad, again, I missed the whole thing of when that show was on. I, I binge-watched the whole show while it, when it was on Netflix. So this is one of the first shows in a long time that I'm legitimately sad to see go. And with that, uh, Chris, plug us away. Do your thing. You guys know the deal at this point. We appreciate you being here. That's the number one most important thing we want you to know. Uh, thank you for giving us your time, your ears. Um, it's, you know, it's we enjoy doing this. It's fun doing this. And so the fact that, like, I don't know, there's a surprisingly greater number of downloads than I, I thought would happen in the short run so far, so thank you. Um, thank you so much. And you could follow both of us at our personals. I'm at Dominic, uh, I'm at uh, Christian Ivanko. <laughs> I am Christian Ivanko, and that is Dominic Rizzi. And that is there. Dominic Rizzi. And, and, you know, you could follow us on the podcast page and our personals, but most importantly, the reason we're together in this room right now is the podcast, and that's at Talkin' Podcast. T-A-L-K-I-N-T-V, no G, and uh, anywhere that matters. It's, it's anywhere Pretty that much. matters. Spotify, that's the primary place. Anchor. Yeah, Spotify, Anchor, Apple. You know the Apple deal, music. guys. You guys and, know the deal. And, and since you guys know the deal, this shouldn't come as any shock to you, but I usually like to hand it over to my main man, Dom, 
who ends this show in a way that, that I could not even come close to touching. Dom, what do you have to leave the listeners with today? I mean, I think they know it at this point, but it's watch more fucking movies, and in this case, TV shows.